0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. why do you stand looking into heaven this jesus who was taken up from you and into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven the word of the lord
1: good morning My name is Mike Stroh. I'm the other co pastor, and it's my privilege to add my welcome to you all this morning, especially if you're a guest. Uh, As the kids are being dismissed to the meadow, you can open your Bible if you have one in front of you to the passage that we just heard read. Thank you, Laverne, for reading that text for us Acts chapter 1. But there's an age old question, and it goes something like this Are we there yet? If you have kids, or if you are a kid, or if you ever were a kid, chances are you've said that, you've asked that question, you've heard that question a million times, right? The classic example is on a road trip, right? The kids are in the back seat, and over and over. Are we there yet? And five seconds later, are we there yet? Maybe you've experienced that. And if you've been in that situation, maybe you're, you know, you're thinking to yourself, are you looking out the same windows that I'm, I'm looking out? right, you see, you see farmhouses and cows, we're looking for palm trees, okay, so just wait until you see palm trees to ask that again, right, but the question keeps coming. And of course, it's not just kids, it's human nature, that impatience, right, to get where we're going, for our expectations to become reality, and as adults, we have more grown-up ways of asking that question, but it's still asking the same question, right? Um, we think we can control our circumstances, right? We fool ourselves into into that illusion. But again, we're really just asking, are we there yet? What do I have to do to manufacture the circumstances to to get where I want to be? The tendency for us at times is to get so caught up with where we want to be, where we think we should be, individually, corporately, that we lose focus on where we are. And the disciples were the same way. They were regular people just like us. They had been through a whole lot with the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus. All their hopes had just been dashed, but then he rises again from the dead. And now they're wondering, well, wait a minute. All those expectations that I had before that were dashed at the cross, maybe now they'll come true. And they asked Jesus in Acts chapter 1, are we there yet? And Jesus takes them and us, and he sits us down and he says, wait just a minute, the future is coming, but I have you here for a very important reason, so don't lose sight of the mission. We continue this morning in our series that we've called Be the Church. We've been looking at what scripture tells us about this incredible and really unique calling that we have as believers to be the church in the world, to represent Jesus Christ to the world around us. As His body. This morning we look at one of the most foundational passages in the whole Bible on what it means to be the church, and we want to consider what this text says to us in, in this time, in this place, in our day. We have an election coming up this week, which I'm sure you were totally unaware of, right? That sort of has just passed under the radar this time around. But we have Christians on all sides of the political spectrum saying, no, this is the way to be the church right now. No, 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 this is the way to be the church in culture and in politics. There's a variety of strong opinions, which I'm sure you are unaware of too, uh, of how the church is supposed to engage. Uh, uh, let me remind us up front before we get into our text that this spectrum of opinion in the church includes mature believers who love Jesus and know their Bibles, which alone should make us pause. It should remind us that these issues are not as black and white as sometimes we would wish they were, or we like to believe that they are. There's a lot of angst, there's worry, there's concern, there's anger, and there's fear. Sometimes we want to get ahead of Jesus, not just in our culture right now, but really in any area of your life. Are we there yet, Jesus? This thing that I've been, want, this thing I've been wanting and longing for in my life, are we there yet? One temptation in our culture is to step away from the very real problems, right? The very real issues that we're facing in, in our community, in our country, in our world, to disengage, to miss an opportunity to be a light for Christ. But let's not forget that the opposite extreme is just as bad, just as damaging, When we overemphasize the current events, when we get distracted from our primary mission as disciples, or when we give in to fear and we think the sky is falling every time an election rolls around. So, just a fair warning up front, whatever side of that spectrum uh, you may be on this morning, you may be disappointed by this sermon. So, let's temper our expectations. My aim this morning is not at all to give a one-off sermon on how how the church should engage in culture and politics. This is part of the long-range discipleship that we hope and trust is happening at this church. We've talked about these issues before. We've had special sessions. We hope to keep these conversations before us and keep growing in this area. But it's fitting for us this morning, especially with the week that we're in right now in our culture and our country. For us to see this present moment in light of the truth of Scripture, and particularly this passage in Acts, I'd like us to consider for just a few moments what these words of Jesus before his ascension have to say to us right now. Words that anchor us in our mission, and that can also and should be a lens for us to see these present issues through, and particularly how we approach them. So let's come to this topic, this passage this morning with humility. Even bringing up these issues stirs up a lot of emotions for all of us. None of us have all the answers. So whatever is troubling us, whatever is heavy on our hearts this morning, let's bring that to our loving Father. Let's trust the Spirit of God to be present with us as we look into his word. Because the Great Commission, this command of Jesus, takes us to neither extreme that are so easy to fall into. Either disengagement from the world, ignoring the problems around us, or overemphasizing present concerns at the expense of the kingdom. These words should inform us how we should speak, how we should act, how we should move as believers and as a church. So let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Father, we have just saying together of your faithfulness, and we want to acknowledge that together this morning. You are faithful. You have been faithful to us. You've been faithful to this church. And Father, we trust your faithfulness even now in these few moments that we have come together out of our busy schedules and our weeks and all that we are facing and dealing with and all that is on our hearts. We have come together as a body to worship you, to open your word for your spirit to move among us. And so we trust you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Acts chapter 1, if you have a Bible in front of you. You know, the context here, uh, Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's told his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would empower them for what's coming next. They couldn't go on without the Spirit. He says, wait, to empower them to be the church to be the church acts 1 starting in verse 6 so when they had come together they asked him lord we at this time restore the kingdom to israel pause there for just a moment i hope we could do a whole series of sermons just on this one question there's a lot packed in here there's a lot wrapped up into this question of all their uh, hopes and dreams from the hebrew scriptures and their culture but if you look closely at the Greek, this question in the text, a more accurate translation might be, are we there yet? They're in the back seat. They're excited. And now they think their, their long-awaited hopes will finally be fulfilled, that Messiah, this resurrected Messiah that they have been following, will finally take his rightful throne, will reestablish the kingdom, that he would overthrow the rule of Rome and not just reestablish the kingdom, but even as the prophets foretold that Messiah would rule the whole world in perfect justice, and perfect peace, and righteousness. They thought, hey, now that he's risen from the dead, now would be a perfect time for him to take over, wouldn't it? And if we, we would use different words in our question of Jesus, in our version of are we there yet, right? But we too long for the day. When Messiah will set up his kingdom and rule every corner of this world. When the lion will lie down with the lamb. When justice will flow like a stream. As we saw recently in our series in Matthew, in his account of the Great Commission, Jesus has already been given all authority. Jesus is already reigning, he's already ruling. But we wait for the day when he comes and establishes that kingdom, that rule in fullness. On earth. So look at how he answers their question, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's that word again. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Are we there yet, Jesus? What's his answer? It's first of all to them to say, that's not really, guys, your business, to know when. We don't know the time of Jesus' return. We don't know the day when that will be. Jesus could not be clearer on this point. So... To try and decode God's end-time plan in detail is simply above our pay grade. And we need to remember that. It's fruitless. It's a distraction. It's a distraction from what we're supposed to be about doing now, which is, Jesus says here, being his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's our mission as disciples, to be disciples, to make disciples. And so if we zoom out a little bit and we think of this Great Commission In the context of all human history, we're in this in between time, aren't we? The kingdom has been inaugurated at the first coming of Jesus. Jesus is ruling now with all authority at the right hand of the Father. And yet, he has not yet brought this kingdom in fullness. And we don't bring about that day ourselves, do we? God alone, by his authority, brings that day. It's God's business. But again, Jesus is clear that in this in-between time, our job is to be his witnesses. This is in stark contrast to the disciples' expectation, to their question here, that it was time to set up a messianic government, that that would be how the kingdom would be brought in. Instead, Jesus says elsewhere, I'm going to build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This passage in Acts promises the Spirit's coming to enable the church to be the church. In Matthew's account, Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth, so now you go. Jesus says, I have the authority, so you go. Go make disciples. Here in this text, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in the power of the Spirit. So if we put this together, kind of zoom out, we can see this this big picture context of the Great Commission The church is to make disciples by the authority of Jesus in the power of the Spirit until Jesus returns, right? That's our big mission as the church, capital C, worldwide, throughout time. That's our mission. This is our foundational imperative. And so if we want to measure our personal and our corporate obedience to Jesus, the Great Commission is a great place to start, isn't it? Are we focused on being disciples of Jesus Christ first and foremost and Influencing others into that same fullness of life, making disciples of all nations. So it's important to notice a few things Jesus is not saying here. First off, he's not saying that we're just supposed to evangelize. That's not what he's saying at all. The Great Commission is not all about evangelism. It, of course, includes people putting their faith, us influencing people to put their faith in Christ. But it goes so far beyond that. Again, what does Jesus say in Matthew? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them what? To observe all that I have commanded you. A life of following Jesus. A disciple is a devoted Christ follower, someone who seeks to live their entire life in the way Jesus would live their life if he were in their shoes. Someone seeking to be continuously transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that touches all of life. So it's wrong to say that the church should only preach the gospel, right? And, and, and not be engaged in the world in any other way. And yet, if we want to be honest about what the gospel really means and what the gospel really touches, the gospel is sufficient because it's meant to inform how we approach culture and politics and how we love our neighbors. Jesus is also not saying here that this world doesn't matter. That's not his answer. The disciples ask, Jesus, are you going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel here on earth right now? Notice what he doesn't say. Jesus does not say, come on guys, this world is not your home, you're just a passing through. Don't worry about anything earthly, heaven is your home. Jesus does not say that, right? He says, it's not yours to know the time and the seasons. So yes, heaven is the ultimate home of the believer, but the New Testament doesn't picture Jesus pulling us out of this world to some far-off heaven. What does Revelation teach us? That heaven is coming down here. God is coming down to us. Jesus is returning here to rule and to reign in a new heaven, a new earth, free of sin and free of death and free of all forms of injustice. So yes, when Jesus returns, he will take over. He will fix everything that's messed up. But it also means that what we do now matters. How we conduct ourselves at school and at work, what we share on social media, how we treat our neighbors, and yes, this week in mind, how we vote. Is everybody with me so far? Okay. The danger, though, is when we say that all Christ followers have to vote like I vote. Have to agree with me on every issue. Or when we link the Church of Jesus Christ to a political party. Because what we don't often realize, and we've talked a lot about this, but that we are being formed by whatever we are taking in. We are being discipled. We often bring our preformed beliefs, political beliefs in this case, to our faith rather than primarily our faith shaping our political beliefs. We're being discipled, we're being formed by whatever news outlet or political commentator we prefer. And that discipling becomes a filter that then we view scripture through. We view the issues that we're facing that fuels our anxieties. Author and speaker Caitlin Schess writes that we don't often recognize necessarily the ways we are shaped by the political media we consume and the political habits we practice. That shaping is not content to stay in the political realm. Inevitably, it will influence us spiritually. And she's not saying this is all bad. We're always being formed by what we take in. The problem, though, is when we're not aware it's happening and we allow it to impact our faith rather than the other way around. We pick verses of Scripture that seem to support our causes and ignore the ones that challenge our assumptions. Friends, this is human nature, but we need to be aware. The Jesus who turned over the tables in the temple is the same Jesus who said, Peter, put away your sword. Context matters. And so we need to be so careful that we're not latching on to a twisted version of our faith, a twisted version of Jesus that appeals to our flesh and our angst and our anger. We have to resist the temptation, if we want to be the church today, to use the gospel to satisfy our earthly desires. One way this is happening in the church today and in our world is in what's often being called Christian nationalism. This so is something that exists along a spectrum. It's not always easy to define. But instead of our faith, again, primarily forming and informing our political uh, beliefs, our opinions, our actions, Christian nationalism is when we mix our Christian identity and our national identity. It comes down to the identity level when we mix the two. We—it's easy to see, uh, and it's disgusting—in the most obvious forms. You may have read about the head of the Russian Orthodox Church who recently in a a sermon told soldiers fighting in Ukraine that sacrifice in the course of carrying out your military duty washes away all sins. This is the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. This is a despicable evil. To use faith as a weapon, and of course this is nothing new. This has been done throughout tragically throughout history. In this case, to grow their army by twisting God's promises. And Christian nationalism is a reality in our country too, often in more subtle ways because we take good things. We take Christian values, right? We take scripture. We take patriotism, which is a great thing. Being thankful for our country, loving our country, praying for our country, working for our country's good. That's a good thing. But when we mix our identity as believers with an earthly identity, as citizens of any country, we inevitably reduce our Christian identity. Instead of the Great Commission, instead of the the life and the teachings of Jesus primarily informing how we vote, how we engage in culture... Sometimes we're tempted to link the Great Commission to fighting, fighting in a culture war, as if the success of the kingdom of God depends on making America or keeping America a Christian nation. Friends, Christian nationalism is an evil that has crept into the hearts of many well-meaning believers. It's a corruption of our faith. There are lots of evils at work in the world. There are lots of evils that those on both sides of the political spectrum can be blinded to, but I bring this particular evil up today because of the way it relates to the Great Commission, which is so foundational to what it means to be the church. We might try to make Christian nationalism and the Great Commission work together, but the reality is that it opposes the gospel. It undercuts the advance of the kingdom. Listen to how Russell Moore describes this. He's a theologian, an author, who's done a lot of good work on the issues of how Christians should engage in culture while keeping the gospel central. He writes that Christian nationalism, watch this, is a kind of great commission in reverse, in which the nations seek to make disciples of themselves using Jesus' authority to baptize their national identity in the name of the blood and of the soil and of the political order. He goes on. The gospel is a means to no other end than union with the crucified and resurrected Christ who transcends and stands in judgment over every group, identity, nationality, and culture. He writes that Christian nationalism might well work in the short term by cementing bonds of cultural solidarity according to the flesh don't miss that according to the flesh yet apart from the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sins apart from the holy spirit there can be no newness of life and if i can add to Moore's point in light of our text this morning apart from the spirit there is also no power there's also no power Back in our text in Acts, if you still have that in front of you, Jesus promises the church what? He promises his disciples that they would receive power from the Spirit to be witnesses. But this temptation, this evil that has crept into our world, and again is nothing new, but it tempts us to ignore the Spirit's power, the power that Jesus promised us, and instead settle for the world's kind of power. The same power that Satan tempted Jesus with in the wilderness is the same temptation that the church today must continually say no to. We must reject. The word for power here is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. We like the idea of explosive power, right? Miraculous power. And yes, as we see in the book of Acts and throughout history, the spirit can and does work that way. But at its core, this word for power simply means ability simply means ability. The Spirit Jesus promises us will give us the ability to live for Jesus. The Spirit will enable us to live for Jesus before a watching world. That's the power that we need. That's the power that we are promised. That's the power that so often we fail to utilize. We need to ask God to show us where the idols of our hearts have taken hold and the issues that are facing us today as a community and a country and a world where we've allowed the enemy to come in and to use our fear, to use our anger, to reduce the gospel, to reduce our calling to make disciples, maybe where we have been blind to the formative power of all those things that are influencing us, all the voices that we're listening to, that are discipling us. Because the way Christians can and must stand out in this moment is not to pick a side in the culture war and start throwing stones. It's to actually live like Jesus' disciples ourselves. To influence others into his fullness of life. And yes, that touches every aspect of our lives, including culture and politics. But it not just informs us how we vote and what we think, but how we interact with those we disagree with. It must. Speaking the truth in love and refusing to separate the two. To live out of our secure identity as citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Because the hope for this world is Jesus. So I don't want to miss the opportunity to say to those, you may be here, you may be joining us online, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The only hope for you in this life and in eternity is Jesus Christ. He died for you, he rose again to take away your sin, to reconcile you to the Father, to invite you into his kingdom to make you a citizen of that kingdom forever that's a gift it's a gift you receive by placing your trust your faith in him alone as believers as we see this week and in this election season maybe through the lens of acts chapter one let's remember that making disciples making apprentices of jesus is our primary responsibility as individuals and as a church Let's seek to engage in our country and our culture from our identity as citizens of Christ's kingdom. Now, Jesus could return before Tuesday's election. Wouldn't that be awesome? Can we at least all agree on that? Okay? We're in this in-between age of waiting for Jesus to set up his kingdom on earth and also living in that kingdom strangely now, living as members of that kingdom and showing that to the world And how we do that and how we navigate that in an an earthly culture and country is not always clear-cut. It's challenging. As our culture changes around us, we ask ourselves, how do we apply the gospel to this situation and that situation and this new idea or that? There are tensions as we wrestle through these things. No doubt disappointed some of you by what has been said or by what has not been said this morning. If you have complaints, you can forward those to Mike Traben at Trinityfellowship.org M-I-K-E-T-R-A-B-U-N. But in all seriousness, we all have expectations of how the church, the church capital C, this church specifically should be operating, what we can be doing better, what we need to be doing differently, how we need to be taking a stand on this or that, that brings disappointment. Let's just put that out there. Let's acknowledge that. That's inevitable. And some may be upset that I talked about Christian nationalism this morning and not a lot of the other evils, the very real, horrible evils that are at work in our culture today. For one thing, this is just one sermon. But mainly, I, we chose to speak about this this morning because of how this viewpoint is growing in churches today. Because there's a lot of obvious evils out there, but we're not always aware of those subtle evils in here. Those evils that Christians can be more easily deceived by. Those evils that are lies mixed in with truth. We need to give special attention to those evils that are themselves distortions of the gospel, distortions of our faith. With our focus on the Great Commission, we see that this viewpoint opposes the gospel. It reduces our ability to make disciples. And really this issue, if it trips us up, it keeps us from properly viewing all of these other evils rightly. It keeps us from addressing them in the way that Jesus wants us to address them. To be Christ-like in the way that we do these things. And so we must address our hearts first. Truth without love is not truth. And so as we head into this week, many of us with some measure of anxiety for one reason or another... It's about the election, maybe it's just about all the angst and division around us. Let's remember what our job is, and particularly if you're a citizen of this country, voting is a privilege. It's a blessing, it's a gift that we should not take lightly. So if you have the opportunity, vote your conscience. Vote for candidates and policies that reflect your understanding of Scripture and that promote human flourishing. Let me remind us to pray for our leaders. I always need to be reminded to be faithful, to pray for our leaders. Local, state, national, world, and other countries. Pray for our president, whether you voted for him or not. All of this under the foundation of knowing where our true citizenship lies. And so instead of arguing or trying to convince someone of your opinions, try to make a point this week, even, to have a conversation with someone you may disagree with, an actual conversation That's rare these days, but a conversation where listening happens. This kind of thing is where the church should be different than the world around us, and so often we're not. Let's aim to be different in this way, to be humble, to listen, to learn from each other. I'm so thankful to be part of a church where political ideology isn't the core of our identity where we come, even as we heard in the call to worship, with a a great diversity. And that includes our viewpoints and opinions on secondary issues. But we're seeking to come together around the gospel. We want to keep growing as disciples and disciple makers to be a light for Christ in our spheres of influence. That includes engaging in culture. To be so grounded in our identity in Christ that we are free, true freedom in Christ to engage in culture and politics to engage people we disagree with from a place of total security in the kingdom, with the peace of Christ, not the fear of the world. Look back at his promise in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, whatever happens on Tuesday, whatever happens this week, whatever happens in the coming weeks and years, the future is bright. This promise is true. Jesus will return. And until then, the times and the seasons are still under God's authority. God keeps moving things according to his plan. The same Jesus who left us this promise, who left us this command before he ascended, will return and take his throne. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask you to help us to be faithful in our calling to be the church. We again thank you for your great faithfulness to this church over so many years and ask that you would continue that faithfulness, you would continue to grow us. In our disagreements, give us love for one another. Grow that love. Give us humility to listen, to learn from one another. Give us a growing unity that transcends differences, a growing vision for how we can better engage our community and culture for the gospel, to use the unique perspectives that are in this body, the unique gifts that are in this body, to be a a light that shines even brighter in our community. Father, this is a chaotic time, and we all, in one way or another, are feeling the stress of this time in history. And so help us to be people of peace, people of truth, people of love, Give us hope in Jesus Christ for his glory, and in his name we pray. Amen.